Welcome to the Dirt World Podcast. I'm Jason Richmond, a fourth generation road builder that started on a shovel and now serves as the chief operating officer at BuildWid. This is the Ariat Dirt World Summit Series, where we will dig into the construction world, exploring the challenges, successes, and strategies that shape exceptional leadership and builds a thriving workforce in the dirt world. Join us as we sit down with some of the brightest minds and trailblazers in the construction industry. Our guests are leaders who have navigated the trenches, built businesses, cultivated strong teams, and fostered innovation to build the infrastructure that shapes our world. From technology, equipment, suppliers, and contractors, their experiences and insights will inspire and empower professionals at every level. I'm excited to present Scott Peeper, the CEO of Mobilization Funding, a company that offers a vital funding source precisely when you need it the most before any work begins. Scott's LinkedIn profile paints a vivid picture of him, a proud father, husband, patriot, purpose-driven leader, and a true cash flow expert. Before starting mobilization funding in 2013, Scott amassed 16 years of experience in the medical device industry. Before his tenure in the medical device industry, Scott was the visionary founder and principal of the Wellness Zone, a health and fitness company specializing in personal personalized wellness programs for executives. Prepare to be captivated by Scott's infectious passion, energy, and enthusiasm as he dives into a topic many in the dirt world find challenging to discuss, cash flow. Scott, welcome to the Dirt World Podcast. Well, thanks, Jason. I'm I'm excited to be on the show. I'm I'm looking forward to meeting the guy you just described, man. I, ah. I don't know if I've talked to myself that nice in a long time. <laughs> well, hey, we want to make we we want to make sure that we put you in the spotlight that you deserve. I mean, I read your profile, and I was just like, you know, that's really cool. Uh, you know, just putting it right out there, like proud father, patriot, you know, cash flow expert. I'm like, yeah. that's really cool, man. Well, thanks, man. I'm. You know, I wasn't always that upfront and I've had lots of good mentors and, you know, one of the things I learned from them was not everyone's going to like you anyway. So, yeah. you know, you're better off focusing on the ones that do. And then the obvious question is, well, how do you figure it out? Is like, well, if you're very genuine, they'll let you know. And so be genuine and then you'll find out. And so that's what I just said. Okay, cool. Just kind of, I was like, all right, that makes it a lot easier. You know, and if you just straddle the middle you really aren't finding any of the juice in life anyway. And so you got to get out on the edges and to do that, you got to be genuine and you'll find your people out there. I love it. No, that's a great way. That's a great way to get started. Well, you know, it's interesting. I know you've been in the dirt world for 10 years, but let's back up to the beginning, man. You've had kind of a long history. How did you get from where you were to where you are today? Yeah. So the dirt world for me, at mobilization funding might have started 10 years ago, but the dirt world for me started when I was probably about 10 years old. My dad was uh, in construction, uh, in the glass and aluminum business. He had a commercial glazing business. Prior to that, he spent 12, 15 years working for somebody else's glass and aluminum business. Uh, glass and aluminum business. And so he worked for a company called, I like to tell a story, for Dick's Glass Company, right? And, and Dick was a great guy. He was amazing. And my dad worked for them a long time. And when Dick passed, when Dick passed away, his son took the business over, and his son was a dick. And that forced <laughs> my dad and his partner to leave. And so, him and his partner left, started their own business, just like most people get into construction. You know, they don't, they don't go out and say, "Oh, I want to get into business for myself." Necessarily, they are in the business and then get into business for themselves. And so, my dad was no different. And so working on those job sites, both at the time I was with their crews at Dick's Glass Company and then at my dad's company, which was Precision Glass and Aluminum, I just was like a gopher boy. You know, I would go for this, go for that, get this done, get that done. I grew up in upstate New York, so I know what it was like to work outside in like very hot and humid climate. And I know what it was like to put a full suit Carhartt on, which, by the way, they didn't make Carhartts the same way they do now back in like the 80s. They were not comfortable you could you didn't have like dexterity in your fingers or any of that stuff. You just went out there to stay warm and try to work. And so I had a good perspective of all of it and understood what hard work was all about from working with him. Um, and so that was it, really. That's my that was my background in construction. And I realized quickly that wasn't something I necessarily wanted to do all my life. And um, at least as a gopher boy, you know, I didn't necessarily see much else past that other than what my dad did, but. 
when I left, I wanted to go to college, mostly because I wanted to continue playing basketball, if I'm being honest. That's what got okay. me to college, which I did. And then um, I got a degree in food, hotel, hospitality management. And I used that for a total of about maybe five months after I got out and then quickly got into sales. And I've been in sales or sales leadership, management, business, really since six months out of school. And um, bringing myself to, all the way through a couple different businesses, my entrepreneurial spirit, learning corporate America, I landed a position in uh, pharmaceutical sales for a year. And then I got into medical device sales where I spent 16, 17 years with two companies. One was Angiodynamics and the other company was Stryker Orthopedics. Those are the places I really learned a lot about just structured business. You know, like you can, I drew a lot from that. And of course, a lot of experience, more sales, got some good training, lots of pieces like that. But in 2013, when I was in the middle of my medical device career, my, a friend of mine called and said, hey, we got this amazing idea. We're going to make loans to commercial contractors. And I think you'd be great for it because your dad had this glass and aluminum business. That was the qualifier for me, right? And so I was like, I don't know. I can tell you this much. Tell me what your idea is. He told me, and I was like, let me just say that lending money anywhere near the construction industry is the worst idea I've ever heard. But count me in because I don't want to be left out in case you guys are on to something. And so 10 and a half years later, none of those guys are still here in the day-to-day. -day and I'm, I'm still standing. And we've taken the path from there, which is a whole other story. But I can dive into that as much as you like. But that's yeah. really how I ended up in it. And then I ultimately left uh, med device sales. And mobilization funding is my full-time career and role. And our mission is what we're trying to accomplish. That's fantastic. So, you know. Pretty cool to hear that your dad was in the dirt world. Mm -hmm. uh, I also I loved hearing you say, you know, talking about that entrepreneurial spirit. And I think that the reason that you're still here 10 and a half years later is, you know, one sales is the engine that drives any business. So you mm -hmm. come from that sales background, but that entrepreneurial spirit of, you know, serving and supporting and really solving a problem, you know, for, you know, uh, your customers is just absolutely critical, you know, to your success, which kind of leads us right into, you know, mobilization funding. So like, what is it? What, like, tell me a little bit about the business and, and how does it work? Yeah. So what we do isn't actually any different in principle than what my friend called me with that first day back 10 and a half years ago, how we do it, the way we do it, who we do it with is vastly different. But what we did, what we do, what we do is the exact thing. And it's basically, he called, and this is what he said, Scott, I'm working with the, I'm in the banking world and I'm in the construction world. He had a construction company and he spent many years as a commercial banker. And what he said to me was, look, again, think of 2013, we're coming out of that recession, right? There's a lot of government stimulus. There's a lot of opportunity out there. And um, a lot of it was bonded work. And he was working, he was very familiar with the surety industry and he was talking to the sureties and the sureties were like, look, we have all these great contractors out there. The ones that survived, I mean, this is the best of the best performers. They're still alive, they have all this opportunity, but let me tell you what the problem is. We can't write any bonds for them. We realize that the old way of doing construction work business, we can't do anymore. We can't give mobilization money up front because Anytime, if we get too much money out, we lose on these bonds. If cash is taken off the job, we lose on these bonds. If, they don't, if the contractors don't have cash, they can't perform. So here we are. We're stuck. Well, we used to go to the banks, and the banks were happy to lend to the construction industry, but they just got decimated in the last five years, so they're not lending to this industry. They're just trying to lend to the most basic, simple stuff, limping their way out of the recession. Okay, cool. So we need you guys to be the working capital component that we can start writing bonds for. And if we can show that there's cash on this project and it can stay on this project, you guys should be the lending source for that. You, you should figure out how to do it and then get paid back on the project. And that sounded insane at the time. And you know, honestly, half the time I explain what we do to people, it still sounds insane to them. But what we, what we learned over time was that we, could, we tried it out. Like, let's try it. And you, we found the first loan we made was to an electrical company, and he was just doing a regular job at a Goodwill. I mean, you guys have probably seen – well, in Florida here, they build a lot of Goodwill centers. They're called – they actually are called Goodwill. But picture you're like your 15,000-foot single-story building, very easy construction, simple electrical. And so we made a little $40,000 loan to that electrician. He executed the work. 
It came back to us two, three months later, and we didn't have a lot of infrastructure behind it, and we made the loan, and it worked, and we said, okay, cool, we get it. We did it again and again, and at first it was just a hobby, Jason, honestly. It was just, we were just four guys. We are going to put some money together, pass the hat, and decided that's how we'd make these loans. And so that's what we did. But what we do at Mobilization Funding now and has evolved is that's the basic of it, basis of it. But think of like every construction project starts out with, yeah, it's financed. We're all excited. Let's put the shovels in the ground. But the truth is no money's really gone out the door yet. It's work's gone out the door, and the only money that's gone out the door is from the people actually on the site, which is technically and typically the dirt world is specifically. You think your site contractors, mechanical, engineering, any soft cost, all that's the site work. It's in the ground. And so they're shelling out money almost day one. If not for material, it's certainly seven days labor later when labor comes. And so all that money's going out. And then basically the job that's quote-unquote financed is essentially just being reimbursed to everybody that's already put money into it. Now, there's some exceptions, of course. Owners may owner direct purchases and things like that. But at the end of the day, what it's really all about is you got subcontractors paying for things and then getting reimbursed and hopefully collecting some profit and margin along the way. And so what we realize is they need cash in order to do that. It's not like these little jobs and these little projects either. So construction is just really measured in the, the industry's in the size of trillions, right? So you have projects are millions and tens of millions and hundreds of millions, and it's just a lot of money going out the door at one time. And so what we do is we build a, we take a look at the cash flow of a project for a specific contractor. We look at their contract value, which is a great asset for them, that nobody else wants to give credit for. And so we don't do it as traditional credit, but we do it as, okay, we have this company who knows how to perform and do what they do. They have a great contract and a great project to pay them when they do what they do. They actually have the people, the labor, the supply chain, the way, the methods, the knowledge to do exactly that. They just need some cash to help get it along. And their cycle of cash flow is so unique in construction that it's not something where you can get deposits from your customer or you can sort of put a little out there because the money comes back next day in a credit card batch, right? You have to finance a month's worth of expenses, not a day or half a day. And so, and then on top of that, all the financing programs that might otherwise be available to other industries are not here. So what we do is we provide, we became a, we become a source of cash for a contractor to start and execute work. And in, in addition to the money that's coming off of the project, and because they need that money up front, we'll provide the cash they need week by week in tranches for whatever the expenses are that they have uh, that they're incurring in real time. And then we'll get paid back as they're paid back on the project. And essentially, the reason we do an entire cash flow for them on the project is we want to know how much do they need, what's the right way to structure the disbursement of those dollars, what's it going to go for, you know, what are they going to use it for. And then we can structure a repayment that is in line with their project so they're not hurt cash flow-wise. It doesn't help anybody to make a loan to them if they're paid once a month, if you're trying to get paid daily or weekly back. Or if, you're, if they're not getting paid till two months from now, you, you can't expect a payment three weeks from now. That's just, like, inconceivable. You're just, you, have, you don't have a good product. You have something that you have money you want to lend, and you're just trying to get it from somebody else. You're not necessarily solving a problem as a lender, you're just trying to be a lender. And that's the key difference that we do, is we understand what we're lending to, we understand their cash flow cycle, we, we want them to use the money that they need to use it for, we wanna get paid back in their cash flow cycle so it's a win-win for everybody, including the project owner. Not just us, not just our client, but the actual project itself, because you're not doing anybody any favors if you don't help our client's customer, which yeah. is the customer. That's good. I mean, what I'm I'm hearing so many valuable nuggets there. But one thing I'm hearing is a true partnership with the people that you're working with, and you go at it with a heart of service to them, a heart of education. You know, you're you're working through cash flow with them, and you're you're working on a proactive plan for for how the job is going to be built, where the needs of cash are going to be, and so there's a there's a strategy behind making sure that, that they're going to be successful and you're, you're truly in true partnership. Uh, right. Pretty incredible op what you're doing there. Well, thanks, man. And, I, and it, it's a work of art. You know, it takes time to learn 
what someone's doing before you can help them. And what we learned along the way is what we need to do is solve the cash flow problem. And what does that mean in construction? It means every week I have cash that needs to go out the door and I'm super tight. It means I have payroll this week. It means I can't invoice till the end of the month. Okay, so what, how does that feel to somebody? How does that, what do they have to do? What behavioral changes does that make? What actions are they taking that they want to take? And what actions are they taking they don't want to take? And how do you make their life more simple and easy, which then in turn makes their customer's life simple and easy, which makes them look great? And the way to do that is map out the cash flow for them so they can live week to week on the schedule they're trying to perform the work on, and then they can thrive. And so that's exactly what we do. I, we think, I always say there's three things that you need on a construction project. The first one, or there's two, two of them co most contractors do really well, and the third one they miss altogether typically. So the first one is they have a great way to bid a project. They know exactly what to do, how to do it. They have a system for it. It doesn't mean that everybody bids great. It doesn't mean they don't miss, but they have a system for it, and they're, they know how to do it correctly and then they have a schedule they know what it's going to take it's going to take me two months to do this three months to do that do i need one crew two crews is it better for me to do two crews at this level they they know all the complex stuff and so what they don't typically do is what's key and the most important thing next is okay if i have a million dollar job and there's eight hundred thousand dollars a cost and i know my schedule how do i have to spend that eight hundred thousand dollars in order to basically get to cash flow positive on this job so the job's paying for itself. And if you go into the same million-dollar job with the same margin and you only have to invest $150,000 of the eight hundred, it feels vastly different than if you have to invest $500,000 of the 800000 Same job, same margin, same work, but that feels a hell of a lot different, man, if you only need one hundred fifty grand to get it rolling versus five hundred. Yeah. And if you don't know that, you find you don't know that before you start, you find out in the middle of it, and that's when you're running around being like if you're saying stuff to your if you're saying things to yourself like, if everybody just paid me what they owed me, my life would be a lot easier, then th that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, really, really interesting. Uh, you know, we talked about this a little bit before, but I think it's super relevant, uh, you know, today uh and even in future uh on, on your webinar. But Talk to me a little bit about you. You made a comment to me before, like business is not linear. And you gave a little bit of a case study, you know, about a $12 million business. And, you know, sometimes people look at it and it goes, you know, quarterly, but, you know, but, but how, how are dirt world businesses really run? And talk to me a little bit about, you know, that just from an awareness standpoint to make sure our listeners, you know, can really relate to not only just on the project side of things that we've been talking about, but just from a business side of things as well. Yeah, so look, here's the, here's the thing. Every other, for, we got to think of it from the industry level of the start, okay? So first and foremost, if you have awareness of all industries, you're, you own a, you're an investment banker, you know and have different ways you analyze each industry, okay? So you know what the differences are. And cash flow, the revenue cycle, you know, things, those big buzzwords you hear, that is what people understand when they are they they understand enough about industries across the board. When you're in construction, most people just know construction, right? Or they only think about construction and what revenue they their revenue cycle and their cash flow. So what I mean by that is first you have to give yourself a little grace. And I'm here to tell you, cash flow in construction is unlike any other industry. Now, everyone's heard that, but, what, but it's true. And so what does that mean? That means if, if you think you're bad with finance or you think you're bad with cash or you think you're, you, know, you need to know this, you don't know that, or you have some insecurity about it, or God, man, I just, everybody else is doing it great and I must have something wrong. You're really not. You need to understand that you, you may be doing something wrong. You may not be doing something right. But you have to understand that you're in a situation, both size and scope, but also cash flow cycle, that is so abnormal. And I, the analogy I always give is a restaurant. If, a, if we all eat at restaurants, just imagine your local restaurant, doesn't even matter, diner or high fancy food or anything in between. If that restaurant owner had to buy all the supplies, pay all the labor and all the food to feed somebody and all their customers for an entire month, then they invoiced all those customers at the end of the month and then waited 30 days to get paid. They would have to float 60 days of labor and food 
before they ever got a dollar. We wouldn't have any restaurants to go to, okay? So, like, let's just – that's what I'm talking about for a second. So now that we know that, it's key and even more important to pay attention to finances and cash flow in construction than it is almost any other industry because you can't just limp your way in and hope it works like you can in some businesses where the cash flow cycle might only be a day or two. You can hide a lot if money's coming in. You can't hide anything when there's gaps of dollars and it's far, few and far between. And that's where construction is. So there's a lot of reasons cash becomes a problem. One is you're, you spend it poorly. Two, you don't plan. Three, you're growing too fast. You know, or you're just growing. But in construction, you could have the feeling of growth without even growing. And what I mean by this is you're a $12 million business. You, got, you, you lay out the perfect, you know, four projects, one's per quarter. They're each $3 million bucks, and you got it all teed up perfect, and you're ready to hit it, right? And next thing you know, there's a bad weather on this one project, this delay on the design for the other you're waiting on a different permit for one. And all of a sudden, those three million, that $3 million job or those couple jobs you had starting in the first quarter are now all starting in the second quarter, along with the next $3 million of job. Well, you are now effectively living a 100% growth company in the second quarter. It does, you're now a 20, you might as well now be a $24 million company instead of a $12 million company because you now are starting $6 million worth of work when you're typically starting three. That doesn't always happen in other businesses. And by the way, you're still a $12 million business at the end of the year too. So, it, but you, you're having to feel and experience the, the level of a $12 million business in yet, or I'm talking a $24 million business with only, you know, $12 million. So of revenue, that, that is painful. That, those are the things that happen in construction that you have to plan for that are very industry specific and it's hard to manage that. And so you need to have a finance partner or cash or a wealthy owner. I mean, whatever you need to do, someone with a pile of cash that you can utilize to get through those gaps. And if you don't have that, then you really need or you're impaired. You're going to be in a harder spot than others. And that's just part of the way life works in construction. Yeah, that's really good. So uh, crazy question. Why? Why don't we talk about cash flow? Why is there like this stigma? Like nobody talks about money. You talked about the 30, 60, 90, 120 days, like the late payments, the AR. I feel like sometimes in construction, we're so worried that we're going to lose a customer or we're not going to get a bid or we're not going to get a job that we don't talk about cash flow and the importance of it. Like talk to me a little bit about your philosophies around how do we start having more conversations around money and cash to really to, to improve the industry. I mean, part of build what's mission is to make the dirt world a better place. If companies manage their cash flow better, I would think that they'd be in a better position. They can take care of their employees. Like things just get better. And so talk to me a little bit about that stigma and why people don't talk about it. Yeah. So there's a lot of stigmas and we'll just focus on the one about cash flow for now. But so, so, it's intimidating. You know, I mean, here's the irony, man. And I'm the best case example of this because I wasn't a finance major. I want specific to cash flow. You, you mentioned it earlier. I'm, I'm really sales and entrepreneur. And those two things don't usually come with a finance knowledge. And so I had to learn it the hard way. And I learned it actually at, at mobilization funding with my customers and making mistakes. And, and what it is is you're intimidated. You know, you're afraid to talk about things that you think you're supposed to know. Um, you, you're intimidated because you're an owner of a business. How do you not know your finances? You know, you have this face people make like, you're supposed to know there's this list of things that you're supposed to have in your resume or your toolbox when you become a quote unquote business owner or a CEO or something. And the truth is you don't have those, man. You just have the, you just had the stones to jump out on something and try to fix something because you committed to it. You said you would, or you found that it was going to be better. That doesn't mean you're supposed to have all the tools right away. So I think, but yet we carry with us this knowledge of, or fear of bringing it up. So that's one. I think the next stigma is that um, we forget we're in a really tough cash flow industry and we see what other people are doing and we assume that they are figuring it out. Then we're supposed to too. And they are, and we are, but, it doesn't mean that they're 
they're doing it the exact same way you are. They might have a lender. They, maybe they have. Maybe they're rich. Maybe they have a rich, um, silent partner that's funding them. I mean, those are things that people have, and then and sometimes people are just lying. They're making it look like they're doing well, but they're not. And I can attest to that, by the way, because I see people's financials. I see them oftentimes in other places and i have an image and theory of thought of what they might look like and then they send their financials and i'm like you know what you're just like every other normal person you're struggling okay cool but you know kudos for you for being out there and and sharing that and now i can let me see if i how i can help you so you're very you're you're normal is what i would tell you and then the third thing is we're afraid that we're going to lose business if and then we also the general contractors and owner developers have this stigma out there that they have to work with only subs that are flush, right? I've heard that so many times. I only work with subs that are financially capable of working on my job. Well, listen, you don't look at fine, any sub that any GC that tells me that they're not looking at subs financials because it just doesn't exist. You're going to have subs out there that are financially impaired by definition because there's no there's no access to cash in this industry. Like banks don't want to lend to it because they just don't know how to figure it out. And the reason I said I'm a great version of that is if you think a bank doesn't want to lend to a commercial contractor, how hard do you think it was for me and what I had to prove to get a bank to give me a loan to make loans to commercial contractors for people who are otherwise people they don't want to lend to? And so, like, the proving that it can be done, and I didn't prove it like I created some lending thing. No, I just proved that if you work side-by-side side with the commercial construction world, and you give them the tools and access to be able to succeed, they can do exactly that. You can lend them the money. They will pay you back, and it works. It's just you just can't do it with, like, some piece of real estate or, or collateral. It's just got to be done a little different way. you got to put a little more effort in. you got to provide some of the missing pieces as a lender first, which is knowledge and education and tools that they can use so that they can then use the money properly and then thrive. And that's the piece that's the that's the awesome piece about it. And I think that's the stigma that people get hung up on and just having an honest conversation. Hey, look, man, I can do this. But by the way, I'm going to need you to help me out. Not because I don't know what I'm doing, because the other two projects I had in the first quarter, they just got bumped to your quarter, which means I'm going to be in a tight cash flow spiral because I can't start two big projects at the same exact time. So you're delayed. You're delayed a quarter. And I'm starting this other one. So if you want me to continue your project, I'm going to need you to do A, B, and C to get me to make me successful, and just be upfront about it. Oh, now, I love that. Yeah, and 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 people understand that. But if you just go out and pretend that yeah, yeah, no problem, man, it's good. I'm no problem. It's starting. I'm glad it's finally starting. I'll get out there, and you don't tell anybody. How are they supposed to know? Yeah, that transparency. Wow, that's powerful. You know, setting the expectations, setting the boundaries, talking about how the project could and should run, and what you're going to need from them in, in true partnership, you know, to make this thing happen. Uh, mm -hmm. It seems like the GC never has any trouble saying, I need this done by this date. And, yep. and usually the GC finds a way to, you're the sub, we find a way to make it happen, right? But we need to be more uh, willing to talk about, hey, I need cash by, I need payment by this date, or I need this by this date, or whatever that may be. And so I just, I find it really uh, encouraging to hear you talking about that transparency and also just, uh, you know, I can only imagine some of the listeners are out there like, whoa, I'm normal. I'm, there's other people that are out there struggling with this. So I appreciate you sharing that perspective, you know, when it comes to, to cash flow and cash flow management. Yeah. I'll tell you a great story, man. And here's what's cool about this. So we have a client who's, you know, let's say $25 million business, okay? And a big con a concrete contract, a big scope of work. Think giant structural concrete. You, contracts are 5 to $15 million. And they did amazing, eight, 2018 through 2020. COVID hit, and imagine this, projects got stuck, they got stuck, concrete prices through the roof, almost lost the business, okay? So... Now, they're coming out of that. 21 was tough. 22 had a pretty good year. They're about to thrive in 23. I mean, had a profitable year in 22, but nothing like they did in 18, 19. But now you have someone who is confident in what they do, aware of why they were in the situation they were, not afraid of what they can do and are capable of, but also not afraid to say, here's what happened to me and why. And they're getting $10.5 million contracts 
with different terms with some of the best GCs that if I mention their names, everybody on this call would know who they are with some of the greatest developers on earth that you would think, oh, my gosh, if I got that contract from this certain developer, there's no way I'd be able to negotiate terms with them. And I'm sitting here telling you that this client I have, I've watched, sit there and negotiate himself into I need to invoice every two weeks. I need to do this, this, and this. And he'll lean in and he'll say, I'm the best at what I do. And you want me to do this job. You know that. I know that. I'm telling you what I need to deliver the performance you want. And then they gave it to him. Wow. He didn't strong arm him. He was just honest. And it's yeah. because they understood they could bully him easily. But they don't want to bully him. They want him to just do the $10.5 million worth of structural concrete work so they can put their building on top of it in the best way on schedule. That's what they want. Yeah. And 100%. he told them what he needs to accomplish it, and they gave it to him. And I could give you dozens of stories of that, but I'm just giving you a big one because sometimes yeah. people that are smaller think that they can't do that because they're small or yeah. they can't do that. People want performance. Like That's focus right. on performance, that you're the best at it. And then tell them what you need to do it. Don't worry about your what your competition needs. Tell them what you need. I love that. I love that. You know, I I, I, I read it in, you know, everything I looked up about you and mobilization funding and your beliefs. I'm hearing it again now, you know, sharing knowledge, education, training. Like, it feels like you're, you're, you're just have that heart of a teacher. Is that part of the reason why you wrote the book, The Big Book of Cash Flow? Talk to me for a minute about that book. Yeah, it, it is. Um, I'm not an author. Honestly, until before 2020, I didn't even write other than emails. Um, I didn't journal either. I just wrote. <laughs> I, at, it, when COVID hit, we had to do something to help people. And the, we want, I wanted to lean in to start to be able to do that. I couldn't, I didn't know what we could do. We couldn't make loans. We, 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 let me say, we could make loans, but we weren't going to, at least for months. We didn't know what was happening. We were all scared like everybody. It was until June of 2020, which candidly i think that was pretty soon in the process we started making loans again but march april and may we didn't and um what we did do though is i put bankers lawyers accountants people i knew that i could get on a webinar create a podcast send out information what do you do what's the best thing you should do if you have bank lines of credit and i had a banker the head of valley bank telling everybody exactly what the best practices are for doing that um, I had accountants selling exactly what they should do to manage cash. How do I decide if I'm going to let employees go? What's the best way to do it? We brought a labor attorney on. If you do let people go, what way do you structure it? So I just try to think that if I was an owner of a business, which I am, but if I was if I was the owner of a business construction business, what do I need to know and who would I want to hear it from? And, of course, that has nothing to do with lending. It has everything to do with just being a business owner and a person and a manager of people and your own family. And everyone's scared and fearful. And so that's where it started. And then I just carried that theme out as we came out of COVID or even in COVID. I just carried the theme. Well, you know what? A lot of those same themes are the same. You just they're not they're not highlighted so much because of COVID doesn't exist. So now you're highlighting it in, in just regular business. And so. The reason I wrote the book was a lot of what we talked about, those stigmas. I realized that in talking to all of our clients who we get very close with and we become – the, the walls come down and it's all candid conversations typically at, very quickly, that there's a lot of things that they just were afraid to ask that if once they just said, hey, what's the difference, Scott, between margin versus markup? Like why is markup not work? And I'd be like, oh, it's because, listen, if you do this, this, and that, it doesn't work. Oh, I get it totally. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to start doing mar margin instead, and I got to count for my overhead, and I see cash flow. Oh, hey, Scott, what does this mean? What is that acronym? I mean, stupid little stuff sometimes. I'm just afraid to ask. So I said, you know what? I'm going to take all this th stuff. I'm going to put it in 90 pages with some charts and graphs and write it the way I talk, which is very basic, and just let people have a tool very simply they can just go to in a weekend and get basically all the information you need to know that to be like survive and thrive that you can then explore deeper in everything you need to, but give you the way more than just the basics. And also so you can realize that, wow, that wasn't a lot. I should have never worried about that. That's enough. And that book will, for me with the charts and graphs written the way I wrote it in the most basic understanding was to do exactly that. And that's incredible. I can't wait to read it. I haven't had a chance to yet, but I will read all 90 pages cover to yeah. cover. Super excited. 
for those that are coming to the Dirt World Summit, you'll be receiving a copy of the book. So super excited to uh, to dig into that and to learn a little bit more. Perfect opportunity to transition uh, into just kind of some stats about what's going on in the in the dirt world and the construction industry. You know, by 2031, 40% of the industry is going to retire, which means we need like fi over 500,000 people coming into the industry every year for the next, you know, for the next decade. Uh, it's part of the reason why we're having the Dirt World Summit. It's to, to really unite people, to come together, uh, to learn and grow around, you know, leadership and workforce development. And so the two topics that are super important uh, for the industry to thrive as we move forward, you're a natural leader, obviously, uh, and a credible thought leader. But I'm just curious, you know, when you think of leadership, what does that mean to you? And is there a leader that's positively impacted you, you know, in your life, in your career? And what are some of those characteristics or attributes that you think of when you hear the word leadership? Yeah, so you touched on a couple points there. I, I think we'll touch on labor force and how we recruit to that. And I have definitely some thoughts and opinions on that. But it starts with leadership. So I'll fo fo focus my attention there first. You know, I, I was not – I appreciate you saying that, by the way. I, I, if I come off as a natural leader, uh, I wasn't. You know, honestly, I was the timid and shy guy, um, even on my basketball team, where I felt very comfortable playing. I wasn't comfortable leading a huddle. You know, I wasn't comfortable bringing everyone to the sideline and yelling. I, I took a while to get to that point. And, you know, it was almost the end of college before I felt comfortable enough in myself to actually take take that on, you know. And so um, I've worked hard at it. But what I realized was if to be a great leader, you have to walk the walk. Such a corny phrase. Everybody says it. But what that means is you're never going to have the confidence to be the leader you want to be if you're not doing the work that you need to do. And the reason is, is because you know what you're capable of and you know what you wanted to do that day, that week, that month. So therefore, inherently, you know you didn't do it or if you did. And if you build a bunch of days together that you're just not doing what you told yourself you're going to do, even if you didn't vocalize it, you're never going to feel confident. So it's going to be even harder to stand in front of everybody else and tell them what to do when you're not doing it yourself. And whether you realize that's really the reason or not or how much of a factor that plays in it, it, it I'm telling you right now, that is it. And if you, if you start to do the things every single day that you tell yourself you're going to do, it'll be a lot easier for you to do and be a leader because you'll have the confidence to do it. And that's where it comes from. Um, and it's not motivation, but it's discipline. Like most of the mm -hmm. time you're doing the things that you need to do, not because you're motivated to do it or you want to, you're doing it because you said you would to you. And that's what, builds the momentum and creativity of it. And I think that's where the heart of leadership really exists. And then what happens is people see that and all of us naturally inherently want to be great at what we do. And we all are going to be reaching and aspiring to something else. And usually that, that, that ride or that ticket, it comes from someone in your world that you're observing, whether they're online, whether you know them in real life, whether you meet them one time, whether you read a book, you're going to latch on to something or someone. And so as a leader, I think you realize that ultimately if you're doing what you're doing, you're going to attract people that will be like you or want to be on the path that you're on. And then it becomes very easy to build a team because you're doing it with people that are inherently already on board with what you're doing, which is part of what we talked about at the beginning about being very genuine. And so I think those are the keys to, to leadership. And then how that transpires into construction is – now you're running a business that's built with a team, and then you start to construct a team, and you're thinking like the team. And you're walking the walk, so they're walking the walk. You're getting better, so they're trying to get better, which means now you're collectively getting better. And then you bring somebody new on, and they, that person says, well, this is great. I'm joining this team because I want to get better at what I'm doing, and I'm going to aspire to do this. And they just keep moving. And next thing you know, you have this force of five people, 10 people, 15 people, 20 or more, all rowing in the same direction. And you ultimately, as you get larger, it becomes even more critical. But it's even just as important in the beginning for yourself is to come up with what your core values are that you're going to stand by such that you're going to live. And those are that's basically what's driving your actions each day. And you're communicating and vocalizing that to your team, and they're following along with those. And that's the bond that you guys deliver to yourselves, which in turn you then deliver to your customer. 
and then your customer knows what they're going to get and what they can expect, whether it's you, whether it's your teammate that's in front of you, or whether they're not in front of you. And everybody's walking that walk at the same time. And that is what's going to attract people to a winning team, not to construction. People are going to be attracted to those people and that team, and it's just going to so happen to be in construction. Mm. And that's what incredible. I, and what I think happens next then is you need to tell the stories of what we're doing in construction much differently to yourself, number one, um, to each other, sub to general contractor, general contractor to sub, owner, developer. You know, I talk to most owner developers, they don't even know what a sub deals with. They just hire a GC and think that's it. You know, they don't know. And so, um, and in turn, what that does is then you'll speak differently out to the community of what you're doing. And then everyone will have a different perception of construction. You know, I shot this video one time, Jason, I talked about how construction built America. And my point in the mirror was everything, there's no other industry, or very few anyway, that the entire world at any age, any person touches. And construction's it. Road you drive on, hospital that you were born in, you know, car you get home in, you know, like your house, everything, right? And if, if, if everybody thought that you had to like, that was like you fail and go into construction, or they just thought like, wow, I didn't realize that industry can, you can be a business owner, of a small business, a medium-sized business, a fast-growing business, a super public company business. You can be a superintendent, a project manager. You can manage four people, 10 people, 20 people, 100 people. There is no limitation to what opportunities you can, you can thrive in construction. You can work from the ground. You can, if you love operations, you know what? There's nothing better than operating a construction business or a project, just different. It doesn't have to be operations of a food service facility or a 3PL logistics facility. If you want to be in finance, well, pick what size company and what kind of finance you want to do. It's in construction. Leadership, executive management. I mean, it, the list goes on and on. International business, domestic business. I mean, it doesn't stop. You can't say that for every business industry. And so, that story is way more appealing if you sat in front of a bunch of 17, 18, 19, 20, 24 year olds trying to figure out where they want to go to college, which by the way, most of them don't know what they want to do when they're coming out of college. So if you said, hey, here's an industry that, by, by the way, guys, if you just said to them, every college graduate, do you want to go to an industry where you could be an operator or manager of any size business and you could transition from operations, finance, entrepreneurship, development, what training, HR, or do you want to go to one that only can encompass maybe like three or four of those areas? Everyone is going to say, oh, I want to go to the one that's you can do everything in. Okay, do you want to be at this size company or that size company? Well, if you go to this size company, you have to change industries. But this one industry, you know what? It's very vertical. You can, you can, do, you can work for any size company you want in this industry. They're going to say, oh, I'll take that one. Well, why doesn't anyone explain construction that way? Yeah, that's incredible. You know what I'm totally saying? I agree. I mean, that's all true. It's like, that's just hundred percent true. There's no falsehood to that. So to me, I just think that story is so much easier told. Maybe it's easy for me because I sit as, um, I mean, I'm very much in it, Yeah. but I'm maybe not living in the moment or maybe I just have a different perspective. Maybe it's because I, I watched med device. I mean, listen, I sat in the boardroom of med device companies, publicly traded ones and both were public Andrew and striker. And I'm just going to tell you right now, man, that don't think that that industry is full of a bunch of smart, brainiac people that know everything they're doing and don't make mistakes. Like, that is yeah. not true. Like, I've seen the greatest cash flow sheets with unbelievable built finance tools with all these gadgets. And you can hand it to a professional. They didn't have one idea what to do with that information. And they're getting paid what most people consider a shit ton of money. Yeah. And meanwhile, I hand the same cash flow tool to a contractor and you know what they know how to do exactly everything to make it better i'm going to call this supplier i'm going to get on the horn with them i'm going to fix this i'm going to i'm going to put two crews out there on the first to start for three weeks because i can get ahead of the game here and then i'm going to back down to two crews and all of a sudden they fix it like you give them all the information and they know exactly what to do i've watched for two decades most people not know what to do with the information right in front of them they had the best access to the best information and tools so the story needs to change, man. It's the story. And it starts 100%. with ourselves and the ones we tell ourselves and then everybody else will follow. Totally, man. So I'm just writing down some, some words as I'm, I'm listening to your wisdom and your thoughts and your ideas. 
you know, around leadership and workforce development. And I'm, I'm thinking about the listener, or maybe even that young person that's out there. And you're talking about team, you're talking about winning, you're talking about leadership, you're talking about the impact that you're having on society. You're talking about an environment where people want to be. You're talking about learning and growing. You're talking about career paths that are just vast. Any sky's the limit. Like come in, learn and grow and, and figure out where you want to go. But one thing that you're displaying as a leader is trust and transparency. And I just think that that is absolutely impeccable for the dirt world that leaders have got to build that trust and they do it through transparency. But something that you have is that humble, hungry, and smart. And you're really good at, at, at relaying your thoughts, your ideas, your messages. But man, I can see where people can get excited. You, you have influence, you've got vision, you've got excitement. Like that is what people are looking for. They, they want somebody to follow. And so, you know, just really excited about what you're doing, what you're displaying, because when you talk about walking the walk, you're walking the walk for leadership and workforce development. And if we want this industry to thrive, it's, it's, it's things that we're talking about here today that people have got to take ownership of. And then they can't just do it once. I love what you said. Jocko's got the saying, discipline equals freedom. You know, to me, mm -hmm. that's where it's like you yeah. can't just be a leader one day. It's every day, every minute that you have an opportunity to lean into that and to create that environment where people want to be. So, Scott, man, that's super incredible. I got one other quick question as we transition. Um, you're going to be at the Area Dirt World Summit. I'm curious, like, man, what is it? What are you? Why did you join? What are you most excited about? Just anything that you want to talk about the, the summit that's coming up. So the, the, the two things, really. Uh, what I loved about the summit was I, I love that you guys are getting it together. I love that it's a first of its kind. Um, I like that it's the first one. If I'm going to be part of something, I always like to be there from the beginning if I could choose, if I, if I know and have the option. Um, and I just think that you guys encompass from a big picture perspective everything that I believe in and bought into that maybe not everyone has yet. And if we're both thinking the same way in terms of what our intent is and what we're trying to accomplish, that two folks with the same drive and energy speaking the same message, that it can impact a lot of people. And I think that you guys have a, a group in the site contracting world and, and mechanical and pipe and directional drilling and, and concrete and foundations. I mean, all of it that... It just is such a huge part of um, the construction industry. And then, candidly, if you think about a project, it's really the beginning of a project, too. If, if this world, if this part of construction screws up, I mean, the whole building is kind of going to be tough to go, right? And so, yeah. you know, if, if the foundation isn't level or something's not, if the, if it, the corner's out of square, I mean, people are going to be chasing that, that inch the rest of the project. So this is a super talented group. It's, it's the foundation. And if we're going to build a new foundation of messaging and storytelling and what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to do it and that it's okay, then I wanted to be part of that right from the beginning. And I know firsthand that cash flow is the most critical thing in a business. It's not what's focused on the most. People, business owners in all industries, construction is the same. They focus on profit and they always focus on the money they're going to make the day they sign the contract and how much profit they have in it. And the truth is you're never going to get that profit until you finish the job and you're paid every dollar. Mm -hmm. The other truth is you'll never get to the end of the project if you don't know how to cash flow it. And so it's, it's cash flow you need to focus on and the profits will come. And doing the rest of the stuff we mentioned is only going to fuel that. But you do all these other things and you miss cash flow, you're going to be buried. And I'd hate to see someone pour all their energy and do all this hard work and use the right disciplines and then not have the tools or the information of cash flow so that you can actually operate in what otherwise is a very difficult cash flow environment. And me out there talking about it and all my mishaps and mistakes and errors and missions and now I can do it now. And if I look, if I can figure out a way to help multiple hundreds of businesses cash flow projects, then you certainly can figure out how to cash flow your own right? As a business owner. And if you don't listen to anything else I say on this entire <laughs> freaking podcast, it's if I can figure out how to help hundreds of businesses, cash flow projects in different 
aspects of construction, then you, I absolutely 100% will tell you, you can figure it out in your own business. And so it's such a critical component, just like leadership, just like labor force, just like everything else. And I want to be part of that and make sure that message is there so that we can actually build a new foundation for where we're going to go moving forward. Absolutely love it. Well, Scott, thank you so much for joining us on the Dirt World podcast. We are grateful for mobilization funding support of the Ariat Dirt World Summit and all that you are doing uh, to help make the dirt world a better place. Scott, uh, real quick, where can we find you guys online? So I'm sure all the social channels, but. Yep. So. Our major focus channels are on LinkedIn, my personal LinkedIn, Mobilization Funding's page on LinkedIn, and then we are um, our YouTube channel, which is Mobilization Funding on YouTube, basically houses all of our videos, other cool content um, aspects, and then our website, which has a great resource page. Our cash flow tool that me and you keep talking about, it's on our website. You can download it, use it for free. The whole tutorial, the whole guide is there. Um, you can get copies of the book. If you don't wanna buy a book, DM me, I'll get you a book. You know, we're going to give them out at the at the summit. I didn't write the book to become an author. It's not a profit center for me. It's not my like side hustle. I got one hustle and they're all related to it. And so that's um just whatever way we can help you, just that's what the way to go. But those are the social channels, mobilizationfunding.com, mobilization funding YouTube, my personal LinkedIn, Scott Peeper. Fortunately for me, there's not a lot of peepers out there, so I'm pretty easy to find. <laughs> and, uh, and then mobilization funding. And anyone in the dirt world certainly knows what mobilization funding means. So I love it. Well, yeah. if you want to learn more about the Ariat Dirt World Summit, you can go to dirtworld.com to find all the details. And we will have uh, the podcast and uh, all of our webinars you know, on that side as well. So yeah. From uh, from all of us at BuildWit and the Dirt World, thanks for joining us. Until next time, keep leading in the Dirt World, building people, projects, and communities. Scott, thank you so much. Jason, thank you, man. I really appreciate it.